0: Well, we have for the past couple of weeks been looking at the Apostle John's letters um, in a sermon series called Walking in Truth. And in these letters um, to the church, the Apostle John is addressing this heresy called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics denied the humanity of Jesus Christ and they really maligned the person of Jesus Christ and were perpetuating this evil doctrine. And this evil doctrine had permeated the church and it was causing schisms and and breaks and there was just there was just really bad things going on and throughout his first letter, John really establishes this idea of what truth is. And, and, and Pastor John Paul talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We also read in his first letter he, the, the, um, the command to love. So as this, all these, this disruption is happening, we're called to love one another, love those within the family of God. And Pastor Marcus talked about that last week. And as Christians, we are called to walk in truth in love, and not to associate with evil. Truth and love, and not to associate with evil. And that is sometimes tested, very much so. And I have a feeling for many of us, it might even be tested this Thursday. <laughs> I, this Thursday at Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving, one of my favorite times of the year, but there is a certain anxiety for many of us. As we go and our loved ones come together, those that might not believe the same things that we believe about Jesus Christ, and there's this anxiety that's bubbling up, and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, and we all have that uncle too, right, that is especially like harsh, and we're going into this season, we're, like, we're, we're waiting, we're, we're excited, but at the same time we're anxious. And I could, I could remember feeling that way many times. I can remember that feeling that way many times, especially um, in 2008 when I was deployed. It might sound kind of strange, but you kind of have this local family of people, and there was this, this local family, this local uh, group of believers that we would eat lunch with, together all the time, dinner with, with each other together all the time. We'd have these Bible studies. And there was this one guy, he was a, he was a colonel, and he used to love coming to our Bible studies, just to make fun of us and just to malign the name of Jesus. And I remember sitting there one day um, eating um, dinner with our little group and as I saw him walking towards us, I started to have that, that, that aggression towards him and, and that anxiety and I was like, oh, here we go. He was not welcomed. And it was for good reason. And the title of today's sermon is Unwelcome Guests. And so if you could go ahead and turn to 2 John, verses 1 through 13. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three connection points between truth and love and the practical implications of loving, demonstrating, and defending the truth, especially as we encounter those that are are actively um, maligning the name of Jesus. So let me pray and ask God to just bless our time. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the day that you have created And we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Lord, this is your message. And so speak to our hearts. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is we must love the truth. We must love the truth. Um, the, there was a guy named uh, Blaise Pascal, if you ever heard of him. He's a, he's a, a Christian philosopher in the 1600s. And he, said, he once said, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. And that was in the 1600s. What about now? And so we see that. There are distinct characteristics of truth that we must be intimately familiar with, and we must love it. And We see that truth is objective. Uh, Verse 1, it says, to the elder, to the lady chosen by God, and to her children, whom I love in truth. Now that word truth in the Greek means reality. Reality that is foundational, that is actual reality. And, And it has this Uh, uh, implication of dependability. It's truth that is dependable because it doesn't change. It's it's, it's what forms reality. It'd be something like, that wall right there is solid. We know that it's solid. That's reality. We see that truth is experiential. We continue on verse 1. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. There's this idea of knowing the truth. That, that idea of knowing is this intimate knowledge that is acquired through observations and the senses. So we know the truth. We know it deep down in our hearts. We feel it, we taste it, we touch it. So I know that this wall is solid. And if I try to walk through it, I'm gonna definitely know it's solid because I just sense the big thud against the wall. And so truth is is experiential. We feel that. We see that truth is active and unchanging. Verse two says, "Because of the truth which lives in us." That phrase "lives in us" it's, it's to continue in a certain state. It's it's a condition or, or activity. Truth does something in us, and we know that because we demand the truth, and we want to know the truth, and we seek the truth. And when we finally get the truth, it does something. Amen. We feel it. We know it. It does. It changes us. We see that truth is eternal. And, I, and, will, and will be with us forever. It's eternal. It, it doesn't change. It's, it's, it's forever the same. We see that truth is a gift which finds its embodiment in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, Grace, sweet grace, that gift of grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. And we hear these characteristics of truth But it describes the person of Jesus Christ perfectly. And we even see Jesus describes himself as the truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the truth and the life. He doesn't say, I say the truth. He says, I am the truth. I embody the truth. And so at the very core, loving truth means loving Jesus and living the truth that he's accomplished on the cross. And so we see that when the humanity or deity of Christ is attacked, it is an assault of the very fabric of reality. When someone attacks Jesus, they're not just attacking Jesus, this historic figure, they're attacking the very fabric of reality. Jesus is the agent of creation. He created everything. He sustains everything. And by his accomplishment on the cross, we have hope in the gospel and what he's accomplished. He has reconciled God and man together because he was fully God and fully man. And so when someone attacks Christ, they're attacking that reality. They're attacking our origin, our purpose, and our future. So it means something. And I, and I, and I, I wonder if this is really that big of a deal to us sometimes. Because, see, it's a really big deal to John. You know, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's very tender. But there's, there's certain things that he draws a line in the sand, and it's this. It's in the person of Jesus. He draws a huge line in the sand. So how do we know if we're loving the truth? Well, we have a visceral reaction when Christ is maligned. You know, I had a reaction to this colonel. He would, he would just say these horrible things about Jesus. And I had this visceral reaction, mean almost a violent reaction. And John has the same reaction to the Gnostics. He's saying, he's drawing that huge line in the sand, and he has some really harsh words that he said in the first, first uh, letter and what we're going to look at here in Second John. So how do we love the truth? That's the thing. How do we do this? How do we love the truth more? So what do we do? Now, I read this one time, and um, I read this, this idea of, of the FBI. How do they train their, their counterfeit division? And I assume that, you know, like counterfeit money. Like, how do, how do the FBI, how do they train their people to identify counterfeits? And I thought, it's by studying different counterfeits. But that's not what they do. They actually study a, a real U.S. currency, they spend months, years just studying what UN, the intricacies of U.S. currency and, and the paper and the ink and, and, and all of these things. So that when something false comes across their way, they immediately recognize it. Even if they can't really identify exactly what is wrong with it, they recognize that that's not right because they know what the real thing is. And so for us, we pursue Christ as he is presented in the truth of Scripture. So that when something comes across us that it doesn't seem right, we can recognize it right off the bat because we know the true Christ as he presents himself in Scripture. And so this season, as we approach Advent, I'm going I'm to be a little like Scrooge here for a second. Hold on. Just put the Santa Claus aside. Put Rudolph aside. And can we just bring the Bible and really know who the real Christ is? I'm not opposed to Santa and the, and the Rangers and all that stuff. But... It's about Jesus. It's about looking and studying at who he is. So we need to dig into our Bibles so that when counterfeit things come our way, and they're coming and they will come, especially during this time of year, we know exactly who the right Jesus is. We we, We must also demonstrate love by living in truth. So we're called to walk in love by living the truth. Verse four says, it has given me great joy to find some of you, some of you, your children, walking in the truth. This this idea of walking in the truth implies a, a pattern of behavior that is Christ-like and prescribed by the truth of Scripture. It isn't like I do, you know, I have good days and bad days, which we all do. It's a continual walk. Even when I mess up, I'm going towards Christ, I'm pursuing Christ, I'm pursuing obedience, I'm walking in the truth of Scripture. And we see that this isn't a recommendation. This is a command. So we walk the truth in love. This is is Christ's command to us. Verse 5 says, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the very beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So why is walking in truth such a big deal? Walking in truth is such a big deal because it brings authenticity to our love. One author puts it this way. Truth and love are the twin rails on which Christianity runs. They bring authenticity and balance to our Christian confession and conduct. You see, the world boils love down to a feeling. It's all about how you feel, and sometimes I'm in love, and sometimes I, oops, I tripped, I'm out of love now. And it boils it down to a feeling, but you see, it has to It has to boil it down to a feeling, because when you jettison objective truth, all that you're left with is feelings. And I'm not against feelings, feelings matter. But let's just just be honest here. Feelings change, and they change at a very rapid pace. I mean, think about how you woke up this morning, and how you felt, and everything, how you felt until sitting in this pew right now. I woke up and I went, man, I'm really tired. Oh, it's really early. To, oh, I'm really hungry. Oh, gr- things are great. To, I need coffee. Ah, I'm grumpy. And I mean, even right now, we're feeling certain things. It changes at a rapid rate. We have this over-obsession with feelings and emotions. And again, they're not bad things, but they've got to be rooted in truth. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is dece- deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's, it's crazy. And see, the culture attempts to compartmentalize truth and love. They say, well, truth is whatever you want it to be, and love is just this. And we see this play out very, very clearly on, on, on in the culture. You could, you could have, you know, you could have sexual relations without love. It's really, it, it, it's, it's just something separate. You don't have to worry about that. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I really don't see the connection, Brian, between truth and love. It makes no sense to me. I get it, what you're saying, but I don't see it. So I want to do a little test. Can you guys open for a little test? All right. I want you to imagine. All right. I'm, we're going back I and mean, if, you're, if you're, you remember what it was like to imagine as a kid, right? I want you to imagine that person that you, you love the most. That person that you love the most, that person that when they say things to you, it just melts your heart. And I want you to imagine that person, and I want you to imagine that person coming up to you, grabbing your hand, looking you in the eyes, and saying, you are the most special person. The most special person. You are unique. I love you. I don't know what I would do without you. You're the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And then they go and they give you a hug, and they give you a kiss. How are you feeling? It's great, right? So as you're sitting there and you're just basking, and you're like, I'm so loved, I'm so unique. Five minutes later, let's say now you're walking. And that same person is with somebody else. And they're saying, You hear them. You're like, What's going on here? And they're grabbing someone's hand. They're saying, You are so unique. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love you. It gives them a kiss and a hug. Now, how do you feel? Not so good, right? Why not? Because what they were telling you was not true. Because there was no action behind that. There was nothing there. It was just words. It wasn't really love at all. And so we see truth and love are the twin rails of our Christian life. We have to have both of them. You can't just say it. You just can't believe it. There's a confession and a conduct that go hand in hand. You see, God doesn't compartmentalize truth and love. Confession and conduct. And the ultimate demonstration of love by upholding the truth was on the cross by the eternal truth, Jesus Christ. You see, here's the truth. The truth is that everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, and we deserve God's wrath. That's the truth. And the truth is, is that we deserve Nothing. But God gives us everything. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. The truth is, He stepped out from heaven. The truth is that He lived a perfect and righteous life. The truth is that He was on the cross. And it was the first time that He felt the wrath of the Father and the fullness of sin, our sin, the weight of sin. The truth is, he died, but he was resurrected three days later. And the truth is, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are raised and resurrected to new life. That's truth, and it was demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have truth without Christ. Finally, defending truth is love. <coughs> Excuse me. If we love the truth and live the truth, will be ready to defend the truth. And we need to be ready for this and be on the lookout for this. Verse 7 says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is, a decei- is the deceiver and the antichrist. We see that there's these deceivers out there. And John has some really harsh words for him. He says they're deceivers. They're actively deceiving people and they're the Antichrist. They're exact opposite of Christ. and try to usurp the place of Christ. And we must be prepared to recognize, resist, and reject those that actively lead others to believe something other than who Christ has revealed himself to be. And John calls these people Antichrist. I don't know if that's like, I don't go around calling people Antichrists. That's kind of weird, right? John is drawing a huge line in the sand. He says, you're actively deceiving people. You are an Antichrist. So the question is, is how do we recognize these deceivers? Because things, things aren't so black and white sometimes. Well, it's, a, it's as simple as math. And listen, I took math for liberal arts majors in my undergrad, so I'm not like the biggest math dude, but I get this math, so follow me. So here's the thing. Deceivers add. They add extra biblical sources of authority. It's not just the Bible. It's the Bible and this special book. It's the Bible and this philosophy. It's the Bible and this. And they raise these extra-biblical sources to the same level or above the Bible. So they add to. Deceivers subtract. They subtract from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we uphold that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. And he has to be because that's, that's him reconciling man and God together through his sacrifice but they will somehow subtract that. They'll say, no, he, he, was, he, he was deity, sure, but he wasn't physical, or he was just a man, but he wasn't deity. We also see that deceivers divide. They divide the love and affection and allegiance that that Christ deserves to other people and other things. And and so you'll see prophets or you'll see gurus or whatever raised higher than Jesus. And so they divide the love and the affection of those people. We also see the deceivers, deceivers multiply. They multiply requirements for salvation. So it's more than just by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, no, you have to believe in Christ, plus you have to do all these other things. Then you're really saved, and you know what? You're not really sure assured of your salvation because you have to continually do things and give money and do these things, or, or it's more than just by grace. And so they multiply the requirements. And as I think back to that, that kernel that I talked about, the one thing that bothered me the most is as, as, he was, as he would sit with us in our Bible studies or, or try to infiltrate our little areas, is that he was hurting people. He was hurting people. He's sitting there, and he's, he's you know, you have people are all in their, uh, a certain place of, of their journey, and he's sitting there, and he's actively trying to hurt people and deceive them. And that caused real-life hurt and pain for people. And that's what bothered me the most, and that's what's bothering John. You see, desert, deceivers hurt others. And they also hurt us. We have to watch out to make sure that we're not following or getting caught up in that. And we are called to love others by being prudent to these things and by watching out. Verse 8 says, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead, that word, that idea of running ahead means to pass beyond the limits or boundaries of Scripture and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So here's where the rubber meets the road. How do we respond to deceivers? How do we respond to this? Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked works. Let me give you a little cultural context here. Welcoming someone into your house in the ancient world in this time frame meant that not only did you welcome them into your house and show hospitality, but you also would, would bring them into the very inner core of your social networks, and you would vouch for them, and you would say, "Hey, yeah, these this, these people are really good," and you would introduce them to people that were in your family, that were in your church. You would get them in the very inner circle of your social sphere. That you had an obligation to do that in this culture. And so he says, don't do that. Don't bring him into that. Because they're gonna hurt people and their whole thing is to actively deceive people away from there. Why would you do that? If you do that, you are complicit in what they're trying to do. So the question is, is, what does this look like for us? Because you know, I have a feeling that most of us understand how to react or, or somewhat react You know, when we get a knock on the door and it's a Jehovah Witness. You know, we're like, hey. Or some of you just don't even answer the door, and I'm not going to lie, I've done that a couple times, all right? You're like, I have time for this. But you kind of know, like, hey, I'll tell them I go to church, and usually they'll leave. Or if you run into a, someone, like, from the Mormon church that is doing their mission, you know that if you run into them, they're going to be nice, and you go, okay, sure, whatever, but, you know, you know how to kind of respond to that. But there's some things that we do that we don't even realize that we do and open our entire inner circle to. Like, for example, the television. And certain mediums. There's people out there that are preaching garbage. It's straight up garbage. And we turn on the TV and we are going, hey, this is pretty good. And, you, and, you, and it pipes right into your house so your kids can hear, so you can hear. And you're like, oh, this guy sounded pretty good. Watch yourself. The Benny Hens, the Creflo Dollars, no, I'm just naming people now because it's that big of a deal. They're not preaching a gospel. They're not preaching Christ. And we let them into our house and they give them front row seats and we say, yeah, come to the dinner table. It's good. And then there's some out there that teach something that it's not necessarily heresy, but it's not the gospel. And it usually goes something along the lines like this, like, you know what, you can have your best life now. You can have your best life now. If you have your best life now, then guess you know, all you have to do is this, this, and this. And, and I see that a lot, and, and what happens is oftentimes we bring them into our inner circles, like we saying, hey, did you check out this new book? It's called Best Life Now. You should check it out. And we just continue this thing on, and we just continue on heresy, and it's not Christ. And it's a lie, and it hurts people. And we've got to draw a line in the sand on this. But what about my liberal friend down the street who comes to dinner all of the time? How do I deal with them? That's fine. You speak the truth in love, right? But you're not going to ask them to come to the church, and we're not going to have them preach for us. Invite them to church, sure. But if they're actively, and I'm talking about if they're actively leaders trying to lead people astray, then you could better believe that there's going to be some words there. But as far as your home is concerned, you should talk to them. You should preach the gospel to them and demonstrate truth and love. I'll give you an example. We're, we're getting ready to have this training at the church called Violet Intruder Training. It's for clergy and for leaders of houses of worship all over the place. And when I threw this out, I threw it out to any faith community. And Pastor John got an email from a Wiccan community. And he was like, what do we do with this? And the fact is, is yeah, they could come. We want to make sure, I mean, everyone's created in the image of God. We want to make sure they're safe. But we're not going to ask the Wiccan community to, to, you know, do spells downstairs in the lower hall. Or come up and preach, and preach whatever they want to preach. That's not going to happen. But we want to ensure that nothing gets, you know, they don't get hurt. So we can we partner with them on that level. Because they're human beings. So we have to be very careful on the access we give people and leaders who are actively deceiving people into our lives. And think of the mediums in which we give people access to. But how about this Thursday? How do I deal with my family or friends? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road here. Well, I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray for these people. They're your family. Pray for them. Listen to them because you know what? They just want to be heard. And you're going to be able, when you listen to them, you'll be able to hear really the, the issue, the heart issue behind what they're saying. Speak the truth in love and remember that you are the bo- part of the body of Christ. We're in this together. Friends, we're in this together. You see, you're part of something bigger, you're part of the mystical body of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're out there and you're you're enduring and you're talking to your family member that is maligning the name of Christ, you have a family here that is united in Christ. That's why membership is such a big deal. That's why as today, as we go to our congregational information meeting, it's a big deal that we come together as a body, as a family united in Christ. You're part of something bigger and you have a family to come home to. So you don't have to be afraid. This is how the Apostle Paul writes. He says... From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so you have a family to come home to. So as you go and you engage people in your family, pray, listen, respond to them truthfully and in love. Remember, speaking the truth is the most loving thing you could do. But remember, you have a family to come back to. This family. and this, that's, a, that's a big thing. So this time tomorrow or perhaps Thursday, you're going to be in a setting in which Christ is maligned, altered, misrepresented, or mocked. So how are you going to react? But this colonel, myself and another man, confronted him. We spoke the truth and love to him. And it didn't turn out that well. He never showed up again. And oftentimes I think about him and I pray for him. But I, I, I feel... I feel I did what God called me to do. And, I, and my conscience is clear, because I spoke the truth in love to him. That's what it's about. Is my conscience clear to God, and I did everything that, that God would require of me at that moment. And he decided, he decided to stop coming. So I wanna pray for you right now, as we enter into to Thursday, because things might not turn out the way we want at, at, at our time in Thanksgiving. But pray. And when God gives you a moment Just follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit as he leads. I'm going to pray for that, for wisdom in that. So let me pray. Father, I pray for us. Family, this earthly family that you have given us is very difficult to navigate sometimes. And you've been very clear with us that it is going to be that way. That the truth of you divides and that's a hard pill to swallow, especially as we think of Thanksgiving and coming together with family. So I pray that you would give us grace, wisdom, and encouragement that we are in the right place in the right family for the right time, for your purposes and for your glory. Give us wisdom. May we rely, may we, as we, we felt the prompt feel the prompting of your Holy Spirit, speak truth in love. May we not shrink back from that, realizing that when we tell people the truth of Christ in love, We are giving them the most blessed thing they could ever receive, and that's you. And so be with us. Give us boldness, but give us love and truth. Be with everyone here. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.